to the Grant Street Experience. I'm your host, Grant Urban, Chief Resilience Officer for the City of Pittsburgh. Uh, the Grant Street Experience is our podcast about all the fun and interesting things and people that are happening along Grant Street. Um, and today we have uh, our terrific co-host, Rebecca Kiernan. Rebecca, how are you today? Morning. And then our special guest, Melanie Ondek, grant writer to the stars. Uh, Melanie, uh, it's great <laughs> to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Terrific, terrific. Um, so your first time here on the Grant Street Experience. Um, so uh, Rebecca and I are excited to have you here. Um, yeah, this is my first ever podcast. You get first my ever podcast. Here. Yes. Oh, so you're a newbie. <laughs> I'm a total noob. <laughs> well, please, please do uh, share the edited and unedited version with all your friends and family. Uh, <laughs> looking for a listener or two out there. So, um, uh, it, it's it's going to be great. We'll, uh, we'll take it easy on you. We promise. All right. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so may, maybe get started. Uh, if you could share with listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, uh, kind of, you know, the work that you do uh, with the city um, and how you came to work at the city of Pittsburgh. Um, folks are always kind of interested in that. Um, just maybe tell us a little bit about Melanie on deck there. Yeah. So I think my interest in politics probably started from a really young age. I had a, a grandmother who owned a flower shop and greenhouse business. So she worked, you know, 24 seven, but anytime she wasn't working, she was inside either working on her paperwork or whatever with C-SPAN on in the background. So I <laughs> came from a very politically engaged family early on. So I think that was sort of the, the, the precedent that was set. It was always like, we go vote together. We talk about politics. Like it's a thing that's important in our family. So I don't think I realized how important that would be to me until I started going to school. Uh, so I got my undergrad at St. Vincent College in sociology. I've always been fascinated by people and how structures and other things sort of interplay with one another. And then after that, I got my graduate degree in public policy from Duquesne University. So from there, it was sort of a, okay, well now I've got a policy degree and I definitely don't want to run for office. So like, now what do I do? If I, uh, if I could just hold you for a, yeah. a quick second. I just want to make note, uh, a quick shout out to Go Bearcats uh, for all, <laughs> all the St. Vincent's There's a lot of us around Pittsburgh. There, there, there is. A, I am not a Bearcat, but I have many friends that are uh, St. Vincent's College alumni. So uh, and it, I grew up in the back, it, kind of sort of the backyard uh, of Latrobe. So I, I spent a lot of time out there myself. And then also I, I want to note that our demographic, or our listeners closely mirror the C-SPAN listeners. So you are. Uh, <laughs> perfect. I've got the right audience. Wait, right so audience. If, if you're Latrobe, do you know Joey O's Pizza? I do. I do. Are I you a fan or not? I feel like people either love it or they hate it. I think it's, I think it's good. It's an acquired taste, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's good. I don't for, think those of you, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a very particular type of pizza that uses almost like a sweet pie crust where you're like, is this pizza? <laughs> but it's really good. <laughs> it, it is good. It takes maybe if you two or three visits, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you're you're shocked at first, right? You're like, whoa, what what did I just? This is not quite pizza. But. What kind of toppings put on something like that? Any, it's like regular pizza toppings. Anything you want. Yeah, Rebecca's I like, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> 
Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, I cut you off. So sorry. Go go ahead. So politics. No, that's okay. Studied public policy at Duquesne and was like, all right, well, I don't want to run for office and I'm not super politically involved anywhere. So like, what, what is my next step? And I honestly just kind of stumbled upon an internship opportunity and it was actually the Ravenstall administration. It was an unpaid internship and I had just graduated and I was like, this might, this is it. Like, I'm going to try it out and see what happens. So I got my foot in the door there and I worked unpaid as an intern for about six months and then um, I worked on various projects sort of throughout the mayor's office. And it's funny because the office that I started in as an intern, where I had my own little weird desk off to the side, is actually the office that I'm currently in right now, <laughs> <laughs> which is very weird. And it's, I've had many offices in between. <laughs> so I think I've come full circle. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I kind of just kept coming back to work until they, I was like, nobody's telling me not to come back to work. So they eventually put me on part-time and I worked um, under the Ravenstall administration in the Sir Pittsburgh office, mm -hmm. which is a Bloomberg philanthropy funded sort of arm of the mayor's office that was really focused on volunteerism, which was really a cool experience. So I got grants sort of in city government really early on from the perspective of applying for and managing grants. Uh, and then after that, in the Peduto administration, uh, they created the grants office. They created sort of a centralized grants office. Before that, it was all sort of disparate all over the place. People kind of applied for what they wanted to, when they wanted to, uh, without really talking to the administration about priorities and like making sure that we were integrated with the budget process. So Mayor Peduto came on and said, I think we need this. <laughs> so we've set out over the last, oh, six years to establish our office as which seems like a very long time i've been with the city almost eight years now i think september is eight no yes yeah, september was eight years congratulations thank you uh so now my role there is uh really that touch point for all city departments who want to apply for grant funding whether that's local foundation funding state funding which is really our sweet spot as a local municipality and mm -hmm. then federal funding uh we get all of it so the coolest part of my job, and maybe this is a question you have later, is that I get to work with every single city department, every single director, everybody in between. So I get to see a lot of different folks and get to know a lot of different folks in different projects. So all the time, and you guys know, I get to learn about sustainability all the time when I work with you. <laughs> or your favorite, right? Oh, definitely. <laughs> no, I mean that I think some of the coolest projects we worked on are with your office, so... Maybe, maybe start there a little bit, Melanie. I mean, that is kind of the fun thing about grants is the ability to explore new ideas and to be creative. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe talk a little bit about that in terms of just what the, the ability to be innovative and, and creative and kind of the, the ideation process and what you see across departments. Yeah, you know, I wish that there were more of us because I wish we could all take deeper dives into all of the work that we do. So there are only, there are three of us total uh, in the office, two of us who work primarily on the pre-award side of things or the application side of things, and then one person who works on the post-award side of things or the management side of things. So we've got two people sort of trying to facilitate all of these different relationships and simultaneous deadlines all the time. Uh, so sometimes I get to take slightly deeper dives if, if my schedule allows and other times not so much, but 
if you want to talk about sort of some of my favorite grant experiences, and Rebecca can relate to this, I think Bloomberg Philanthropies comes up time and time again in my work as being some of my favorite because they really have their stuff together um, in terms of how you really think about a problem and a solution in a really meaningful way rather than, you know, what we try to avoid in, in a grant situation is, well, here's a grant. Um, maybe we should apply for it. And it's like, well, wait a second. Do we have a project that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Or are we trying to fit something in there that's not even really a priority? So then you're stuck with a project that you weren't really excited about and you weren't really going to do anyways, but now, now you have a funder who's holding your feet to the fire to do that. So what I appreciate about like a, a Bloomberg Philanthropies is taking that deeper dive. So I think it was 2017, we got to work on a, a mayor's challenge mm. application, which I got to be on the project team for, which was really exciting because usually I'm sort of that touch point who's like in and out throughout the grants process and I'm not necessarily one of the boots on the ground actually doing the learning and working alongside my, my colleagues. Um, so that was a cool experience in that we got to travel and we got to do uh, human-centered design workshops. That's sort of where I learned about human-centered design and what that was and what that meant. And just being able to distill sort of these big ideas down into workable, actual, pliable projects. Because a lot of times people have these really big ideas, but it's a, it's a process to narrow that down into something that's meaningful. Re Rebecca, you were a part of that project team too. I mean, can you share a little bit about that? I mean, Melanie, you just hit on this, the human-centered design. Like, what, what is that? Um, can you maybe describe that in a little bit greater detail, Rebecca? Uh, yeah, so we, there are a, a number of companies, I think, that specialize in this. So we actually got certified through a company based in Pittsburgh called Luma. Um, so they have a training session, but basically it's you, um, there's a lot of focus on like prototyping. Um, so you, you take an idea and then you workshop it really well with people. So basically the whole, the whole design, they use it for, um, for like product development too. Um, but basically you're, and that, I think that that's like one of the best examples, but basically you're developing that, that product or, um, that grant application or, um, the service. And it, so in our case, we were looking for a program for energy efficiency. Um, but we were, uh, you know, always testing and reiterating and, and redoing things based on, um, you know, feedback from people that you're yeah. testing. And just to that point, I think the overarching theme for me is getting the voices in the room that aren't mm -hmm. usually heard mm -hmm. and allowing them to have a stage and have a presence and have meaningful dialogue with, with the folks in the room who are often the very loud voices. So in that process um, with Bloomberg, we got to talk to a multitude of, of people. So it was not just politicians and not just department heads and not just people working at the city. It was, it was nonprofits. It was for profits. It was, you know, those other folks in the room who actually do a lot of the work that we as policymakers try to influence and sometimes think that we have the answer before we have those kinds of conversations. So it helps you sort of take a, a, a road like this that gets you to point B that I think is a smarter way of working. And it doesn't always work out that way because it is a long, rigorous process. Um, so it's, an, it's more of an ideal case of, of how we work. But I think we as city government have done a much better job of that um, since, since that project. I know I've, I've definitely taken some of those tools and techniques along with me and, and used them elsewhere. 
I was going to say, have, have you been able to kind of, I'm sorry, Rebecca, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking of like some of the projects that we've done or applied for grants for since then. And it seems like uh, we're a little bit more targeted on what are those projects that we're already doing or the ones that will make the most sense. Um, it seems like, you know, we've carried forward some of some of the learnings from how do you how do you develop like a good project? Um, mm -hmm. Which is even increasingly important as we're in a pandemic world with, you know, city budgets that are slowly dwindling and how do we make sure that we're strategic in what we're applying for? You know, that was a big part of what the mayor wanted to do was to make our office integrated with the capital and operating teams because it really wasn't before that. So it's being strategic and like, okay, well, here's what we have planned down the pike and here's what we definitely have funding for because oftentimes, you know, grants mean you get money, but they also often mean that you need more money and that you need more people to do the work. Right. Can you talk about, I mean, a, a lot of folks come to you, hey, Melanie, we got this great idea. Can you wor walk through with us like what that navigation is um, in, in terms of taking an idea to meeting a deadline and getting, you know, kind of the idea into something that's really focused and, and, and a winning grant? Well, and I think that's the cool part of grant applications is they force you into that process, whether or not you want to. <laughs> so, so, you know, for instance, if we have somebody who says, there's this program that New York City does that we really want to do here. Um, so we'll sit down and talk about sort of the ins and outs of what that project may look like in their ideal world. And then we actually use a software called eCivis. So we have a pretty we have a pretty regular schedule of grants that come up. When it comes to state and federal, they follow basically the same schedule. Mm. But when you're looking at sort of the local foundation and national foundations, those ones can be a bit of an oddball. Um, and we'll use our, so our software to look up keywords and we have searches that we run. Every, every day, the first thing I do when I come and sit down on my computer is look through all of the grants that have come out that day. Uh, so I've got, you know, pretty good eyeballs on what's out there. Um, and if I always tell people, if you have an idea, like, let's talk about it. Because if you don't tell me about it, I don't know what I'm looking for and what's yeah. going to be most helpful to you. So after we talk through sort of all the programmatic details of what they want, let's say I find an opportunity that I think may fit, you know, it may not fit their entire program, but it may fit one aspect of that program. So then we talk about how, how we can shape that project. You know, it might not be exactly what the original intent was, but this is what we have money for and this is how we can do it. Where do you see kind of, um, I mean, has the pandemic, like we don't want to kind of ignore this, like it's right in front of us. Has the pandemic shifted both the grant making process and what's available? Um, like, have you seen kind of a, a different trend line starting to form? Definitely. And I think, you know, even presidential administration to presidential administration, you see pretty large shifts in the way that mm -hmm. things are funded. Um, definitely during this pandemic, you know, I've been, we've been learning a lot about FEMA and how to navigate FEMA and Pima, which is Pennsylvania's arm of FEMA, and how all of that money sort of funnels through. So we've had a lot of grants related to that that have all just, been... Folks, that's the Federal Emergency Management Administration and the Pennsylvania Emergency Management. Correct. So that's all of us recouping funds related to the pandemic, whether that's, you know, personal protective equipment or other things that we've needed to spend salary money on because we needed overtime, you know, things like that. So we've, during the pandemic, that has definitely been the highlight 
of things that are happening. And I would say probably our asks now are much more focused on projects that exist rather than new ideas that are coming out just because we know the city's coffers are getting tighter and tighter and tighter mm -hmm. as the months go on. Um, you know, local foundations have shifted a lot of their funding to emergency relief. So I think we've tapped into them less than we normally would. Um, but, you know, it's, it's sort of like we're all in this together and we're all kind of trying to figure it out. So the shifts are still happening. They'll continue to happen. And depending on what happens in this next, next presidential election, I imagine we'd see more shifts happening at the federal level as well, which obviously trickles down to state and local funding as well. So we've, you know, we've seen some funding pooled for projects that we were already granted, but we didn't spend the money yet. Um, so they're just like, we don't have money to, for this anymore, so we can't do this project. So reapply next year. <laughs> because it, it got reallocated? Mm -hmm. or? And they've needed to use their emergency funds for other things. Interesting. So, I mean, that's Pima and FEMA. Have you seen national and local funders? Uh, has there been shifts there, I guess? Yeah, definitely. Some of the language that you're seeing, and I think we've even done a couple of grants with you guys looking over sort of a shift in focus towards pandemic-related things. So we worked on an interesting one, and the funder is escaping me, but there was a, a program out there that is for transportation projects. And mm -hmm. it usually doesn't come out when it came out, but they pushed it out, and it was about how we can use art and creative spaces to keep social distancing on sidewalks a thing and how, how we can use that. So how can we use art in a really creative way during a pandemic, which is something we obviously wouldn't have seen before. So definitely seeing shifts in languages, shifts in the type of programming that people want to fund right now uh, and, and all the like. Interesting, interesting. You guys are both graduates, just to go back to the, the, the I'm gonna call it the Bloomberg School. Uh, in, in terms of working with uh, Bloomberg Philanthropies, with which we've, um, like a lot of cities, have, have frankly been beneficiaries of um, some of the creative thinking that they have been able to do to help support um, local governments, you know, and, and specifically cities. Um, what what are some of the big takeaways that you got? Both of you have really, I think, from working with Bloomberg and and Bloomberg Philanthropies, and and just kind of the the disciplines, I will call them, that, that they kind of have yielded with us? I think one of my biggest takeaways from Bloomberg over the years in my various capacities, and they get this because they, they have worked only with city governments for so many years, they constantly are pushing you to push the envelope within your organization. So it's really easy as a city government employee or a director or what have you to, to become complacent and just be like, well, this is how things are. This is how they've always been. And this is really challenging and we can't do this and we can't do that. And I think Bloomberg is exceptional at helping you navigate those kinds of challenges and helping sort of reinvigorate you and getting you excited mm. about how you might be able to do something, even though you thought you couldn't do it. Yeah, that's interesting. Rebecca, do you have any reflections? I mean, uh, yeah, they have a lot of um, testing of ideas and prototyping that I think you don't ever really hear in government, um, just because, uh, you know, the, the risk is so high with taxpayer dollars, right? Um, but they have, uh, I think what's really good about Bloomberg is that they, they have processes that they use, too, to keep you organized. So there's, like, step-by-step um, you know, ways to, to go about testing your idea or bringing a group together or um, mm -hmm. they just seem to have it, have it all together. 
um, started to go through through another one recently and it's 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 always like it's it's the same the same model almost with like the same learnings um so obviously it's you know a process that's like tried and true and they kind of force you and i don't know if i'm allowed to swear but they they take like the out of what you're saying so like you communicate an idea to them and they're like well no what does that mean and i you can use 25 words to say it and you're like oh, I can't, can I say that in 25 words? And if I can't, is this even a real idea? So it just like challenges your brain in new ways of thinking and like gets you around a lot of the political ways that we're used to yeah. speaking. I, I just want to put you on the spot, Melody. You, you, you're definitely the podcast rookie and, and David just cringed. <laughs> you're, you're our first piece of editing that we're going to have to have for the cable channel. But you're right. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it, it is a discipline that, you know, we're all required, right? I think to help, help get that in tune to you, to really get to the, the, get the nuance out mm-hmm. and to get you focused on what is it you're trying to accomplish here? Um, get rid of all the jargon. Um, let's really get down to brass tacks. Um, one of the things that and I've, I've wondered this, and I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts, like, I was a part of the the one uh, Bloomberg team that worked on cross sector collaboration, um, and and I totally agree with you. Like both of the both the process and the work through that they have um, are good lessons that you can carry through. How how do we extend that both throughout like other parts of city government, but also with a lot of the partners that we work with locally um, in, in terms of some of those lessons? Like, are there ways that we can whether it's the human-centered design work or the communications process, are there, are there ways that we can extend that to, to local partners and local uh, philanthropy, et cetera? You know, I, I think now that I'm thinking about it, every time we've had a Bloomberg engagement, we've had a really like terrific coach. Mm-hmm. So they like, hire people to be the coach for the cities. Um, so, I mean, if we were to, you know, replicate their model, you would, you need somebody who's like guiding the team towards doing that. So yeah. I would say the coaching, like you can use their blueprints, but you really just need that central person that's keeping everybody to task. And yeah. I, I would like to give IMP, our innovation and performance department credit, because I think they've done a really good job of looking at process management. So I don't know if you guys have tapped into them at all, but we use them as sort of like a third party coach for looking at the grants process and what we currently do and what we could be doing better and like what's Mm -hmm. working and what's not working. And I do think oftentimes you need that, that other person, whether it's a coach or whether it's, you know, an innovation team member to sort of help be that facilitator, because it's hard to be the facilitator when you're in that process itself. And when you have to ask the hard questions too, right? Like those coaches are always like, well, it sounds like what you're saying is BS. <laughs> we don't have to edit that one. I think yeah. that's good. No, that, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, like whether it's the business resource managers uh, that IMP has, I think it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good model that there are, you know, effectively guides, facilitators, docents, whatever you want to call it to help go through the process. Um, to that same effect, Melly, because you because you touch and we're in a similar kind of role, you touch all the different departments. Are there things that we could share from grants uh, that one department might be working on with another? Are there things that you see where you're like, hey, you guys really need to get together or 
Definitely. A hundred percent. Definitely. Yes. Uh, you know, we've done a really good job, I think over the last however many years actually breaking down silos between departments and sort of forging those, those relationships. And I think grants oftentimes, they, again, they force those relationships to happen because, you know, for instance, if we're working on a building project, it probably includes DPW, it probably includes city planning, mm -hmm. it probably includes a bunch of different people who have to work together. And then you find when you have those people in the room talking about this project, another project will come up and then it's like, well, wait a second, we haven't talked about this or, oh, wait a second, we haven't talked about this. So it, it is a unique perspective to have sort of this bird's eye view and say, well, wait, maybe we should be thinking about this person and this person working on mm. this project together. Yeah. Oftentimes people are already talking, um, but I think the, the grants process forces you to formalize that relationship a little bit more. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, it, it, it gets you to put, uh, in fact, I was just talking with uh, uh, Rebecca, just a heads up with Tree Pittsburgh about this yesterday, um, about the Allegheny River Greenway. Like, you know, one of the, we had missed a grants they, we had missed a grant cycle with DCD for an opportunity that was available and just didn't have kind of the idea uh, together yet um, from what they were explaining to me. And I said, you know, it, it, it makes sense to go through the rigors of going through the application process anyways. Yeah. Um, so that the next time it comes around, you have your team together, you have your idea, you know, pretty uh, in a pretty cogent space. Um, and then it, it, it keep help keeps you on task. Um, yeah, I, I tell people all the time that it's even when we don't win a grant, it was not for nothing. Uh, it was certainly a good exercise in figuring out how to solve a problem with the resources that you have. What, maybe take that from there then. I mean, what happens though? Like, uh, how do we keep ideas alive? Because um, you, you lose more than you win in the grant space. I, I don't know what our hit rate is, but it always feels that way anyways. Um, yeah. <laughs> no matter, no matter how, how brilliant the ideas are and how strong the team is, like you're, you're not going to win all the time for a variety of reasons. Um, it's kind of like baseball, like similar type of probably, uh, you know, 300 batting average is pretty amazing. Gets you in the Hall of Fame, probably the same with grants. Um, but how do we keep those ideas alive for like the next one? Um, so that they just don't go on the show? Yeah, that's a great question. And I don't know that I have the answer for you. I think largely those ideas live and die with the program managers who care most about them, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's those people who are at the table saying, no, this project, this is, this is what we should use this grant funding for. So we oftentimes, and you've been in these conversations, when there's a grant opportunity that comes up and it could be, you know, a multitude of projects, it's not just one, definitely this is what we're applying for. You know, you've got to have those different voices at the table sort of standing up for their idea and saying, no, this is what I want to fund and this is the project. I mean, I think right now a lot of projects again are being driven by budget conversations that are happening um, just because they have to be uh, yeah. but I, I think that's something that we probably could do a better job of is how do we keep those conversations going with projects that just sort of die and they do and and oftentimes I think that's the trouble with grant funding right it's like you have this idea you implement it for a year and now what <laughs> 
you've always yeah. got to be thinking of the what's next. And that's why it's so important that you're applying for projects that are really meaningful for mm -hmm. your department and for you as an individual that you can keep going and that have a lot of value for you. Otherwise, I mean, people, I always tell people grants equal work. They are not just free money by any means. Somebody's got to do the management and somebody's got to do the hard work. And, you know, what does that look like when the grant funding is gone? And we have those conversations all the time because mm -hmm. a, prog a program shouldn't in theory just go away because the grant funding has gone. So the city often absorbs a lot of those costs, whether that's for a program or for position that we funded, yeah. um, which I don't know what that reality looks like now in a pandemic world and in a, an economic world that isn't super stable right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we've, we've been beneficiaries for sure with, uh, you know, whether it's something about like the City Energy Project or Rockefeller Foundation or Bloomberg Philanthropies, like one of the things I've appreciated so much with those programs is the a the recognition that local government needs resources and capacity and then you know the ability then to blend that capacity into the operations of of kind of city mm -hmm. government um you know recognizing the value creation that they have i think has been been so important for kind of our sustainability work and i know it's been true uh for others as well what what do you guys see, I think, on the horizon? I mean, we're in this pandemic. We're creeping into Q4. Um, budget challenges are a reality. Um, you know, uh, political, social, economic challenges are, are abound. Um, what are ways in which kind of grant making and, and kind of resource development or the development cycle, how can that help us, um, you know, going forward, I think? Oh, I mean, I think it's going to be absolutely critical going forward. I think probably now more than ever, grants offices across the country are thinking, oh my goodness, what are we doing? And in fact, I've had two different grants offices reach out to me specifically just to talk about sort of how Pittsburgh has done it. Um, because we have, you know, we have a fancy schmancy grants manual on the internet and people see that and think, wow, like they actually have processes and they think about how all of this works. Um, and I think there's a realization that that kind of money is going to be absolutely critical for cities if they don't get the sort of financial help they need from the federal government, because it's just not, it's not out there for us right now. And it's, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> and I think, you know, the truth is like, I don't know, I don't know what the, what the landscape looks like for national foundations. I don't know what their coffers look like. I don't know what local foundations look like. Um, I think we're probably looking at much heavier federal and state applications coming up more than anything else. Interesting. Rebecca, any th thoughts on the horizon? Needs? Now's the time to ask Melanie. We've got her cornered. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess I'm just curious. So like we had a conversation with a woman from Delaware around uh, what our grants office looks like. Like, do you do you have a sense of what um, other cities do with their grants offices? Like, how do we compare to how, how they're typically structured? I, I mean, I think we're pretty lean and mean. Uh, we actually had a conversation with Detroit and their post award team alone was like over 17 people. Wow. And we were like, what? They've got like <laughs> these implementation coaches and all of this cool stuff. So I think we have a ways we could go, but I think we do really well 
for what we have. You know, I think our budget office has done a really good job of making sure that we have what we need and that we're working with the right people. You know, I've, a lot of what I do is just breaking down barriers all day. It's making sure that DPW is talking to their budget analyst, who's talking to the grants office, who's talking to this, this city planner, who's talking to this person about these projects that are happening. So, yeah. I'm, I'm just amazed you, you mentioned that we were on a, uh, a presentation the other day, uh, Jen Olzinger from the Office of Management and Budget, and I think Rebecca, you were on that too, with the uh, procurement discussion with- Oh yeah, with Denmark. With uh, the, the, our Danish partners from Aarhus. And, uh, you know, they have, I think they said 60 people in like their, you know, on their procurement team. And Jen's like, we have eight. Um, <laughs> Uh, and and we definitely um, everyone in the city I think shares this in terms of um, how lean and um, we're not mean we're we're nice um, <laughs> um, but how effective we are with the capacity that we do have um, but that definitely has its constraints right um, definitely. You know, so the ability to um, kind of add capacity is is one of those places and spaces that can have big leverage frankly. Um, Definitely. So I think like, like you're saying, given, given the resources that we have, I think we're doing a pretty great job. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly there's always room for reiteration and improvement on what we're doing. And I think we try our best to make sure that we stay engaged in that and make sure that we're looking at how we do things and how we can do things better on a yearly basis. So that's true. What kind of percentage, I don't know if you know this offhand, but like what kind of percentages do we get in grants versus like the budget? Kind of, uh, but like what, what amount of like our spending is supplemented by grants? Ooh, I don't know the answer to that. I can tell you that as of January, from January until about mid-August, we had secured like 4.6 million in grants, oh, wow. which, you know, it varies wildly. You know, people ask, well, what's your win rate? And it's like, well, that's not, it depends on the year. It depends depends on what we applied for. It's not really a fair statistic to give you mm -hmm. because sometimes we might win a $25 million tiger grant or sometimes we might not. So that totally skews your numbers in one way or another. Um, I bet you, I bet you something. Tiger for folks is a federal transportation award, right? Sorry. So, we speak in, we speak yeah. in all these, <laughs> all these letters <laughs> all the time. Anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know what you're thinking. We're getting like 25 million tigers coming to the city. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, tiger's not even a thing anymore. It's, it's, it's since changed names. <laughs> right. Probably for that reason, right? <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what that percentage is, but I, I would hope that it's increasing steadily uh, throughout the years as we get a better handle on things. You know, when, when I first started, we really weren't applying for very many state grants. We were leaving a lot of money on the table. So mm -hmm. this administration has done a really good job in lobbying for those kinds of projects that are definitely at that state and national level that we hadn't been doing nearly as much previously. Yeah, that's, it's important to do that prospecting, right? I mean, to understand kind of what's out, you know, understand what your needs are, but then also what's out there, mm -hmm. see how you match up. Um, you know, one final question for me, and just to kind of pivot a little bit, but in that sense, you almost have, no matter what the award size is, you still have to put in somewhat the same amount of work, don't you? Like a, a $10,000 grant and a $1 million grant, 
um, they might not be wildly different in the amount of work that you have to put in and get it, right? That is very true. <laughs> um, and, so how, and do you, how do you juggle that, I guess? I think it's, it's sort of one of those questions that we pose to the potential grant manager. You know, the way that our office works is because there are only three of us, we obviously can't oversee each and every single grant that's out there. So we rely on city departments to really oversee that project and process. And we're here as like a guiding hand when you need us. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's a conversation that we have with folks. It's like, do you have the capacity to spend this money and spend it effectively? And if the answer is no, it is totally 110% okay to not pursue something because you don't think you have the capacity to do it. And there are instances in which that happens. Interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, just, just to kind of, we're, we're coming up on time here. Um, I, I just want to, you know, thank you, Melanie, but we, we have, this is, this is the, the end, end of, uh, end of podcast question that we throw out to all of our listeners, um, or oh, all, to all our guests, excuse me. Um, <laughs> Uh, we just like to see what, what you're reading, what you're listening to, and what you're watching, um, just as a way to both build our own entertainment libraries. Um, but we're particularly in this time um, of the pandemic, we've been interested to just learn what our colleagues are, are consuming, um, whether it's heavy, whether it's light. Um, so we just want to put that in front of you and, and, and see what uh, Melanie on deck is reading, reading, watching, or listening to. My inner nerd is going to show so yeah. hard right now. <laughs> so so yeah. I've been watching on, on television. I've been re-watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I've re-watched the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but that's what I've been doing. <laughs> Okay. I've also started Little Fires Everywhere on, on Hulu, which is fantastic if you haven't had a chance to watch that yet with Carrie wow. Washington and Reese Witherspoon. Okay. Um, it's great. What I'm reading, I can't say the title because there's a swear word in it, but it's, it's called the, it's called the Effort Diet. Um, and it's all about anti-diet culture stuff, which is really fascinating. So anybody who's been on a million diets here and there, you read this book and it's like, oh, well, here's, here's another alternative for you. <laughs> Uh, so so back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So you're re-watching it. Um, what, is, any, is it different since you're, you've kind of gone through it? Like, how is it? It's incredibly nostalgic for me because my mom and I used to watch it on Friday nights when it premiered on the WB and that was a thing. Right. Uh, so it's been interesting to see the, I think for me in particular, the fashion trends that were really popular that I used to, you know, you used to wear like the, the cornrows in your hair with the little butterfly clips that held it back and then you curled it. And I was like, oh man, I used to love that hair. And I wonder when it's coming back. <laughs> You know, I was watching a bunch of high school kids and, and it was, it's been incredibly enjoyable. I've loved every minute of it. <laughs> Wasn't there a movie? Yeah, but it doesn't have uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar in it. So you can't, it's, it's trash. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That's it. Well, why, why was she, did the movie come before the show? No, I don't know why they didn't make I don't know why they didn't make it with her. It was one of those weird, I remember picking it up actually at like a blockbuster and looking at the cover of it and being like, this isn't, this isn't Buffy. Who's this? For our younger <laughs> listeners, blockbuster uh, <laughs> is where you want to go rent your movies, right? <laughs> I still might have a blockbuster card in my wallet. I <laughs> 
Um, and then the 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 it diet. What what is uh, what is that again? Yeah, it's a it's a very it's an anti diet culture book. So it's it's primarily for women, I would say, and and all of the pressures that we have around being a very particular way all the time, mm -hmm. and how being so obsessed with diet culture and food culture and what that does to your psyche, and how you can learn how to let that go a little bit and be a person who enjoys having a social life and isn't you know sitting there counting calories on their phone while they're out to dinner and. And all of those things. So it's, it's a cool, it's a deep dive for me. I'm a, I'm a fitness instructor on the side. So that's a part of my world that is fascinating. So I like learning about that kind of stuff too. Oh, that's terrific. Um, and, and it's, is it a, a deep read or is it, you know, something that's, it's easier to consume? I mean, I listen to all of my books, so <laughs> I'm an audiobook junkie. I listen to a lot of books every year just going for walks. Uh, I wouldn't say it's very scientific. She does quote a lot of scientific things in it, but it's definitely a lighter read. So if anybody out there is looking for something sort of a little bit lighter hearted, but also very heavy in other ways too, that's great. And I've also been on the trend of um, Glennon Doyle's new book, and I don't know why the name is, is escaping me. Darn it. Hang on, let me look it up. <laughs> <laughs> While you're looking it up, Re Rebecca, how about you? What are um, what are some things that you're consuming this week? Um, I am at a loss. I can't think of anything. Untamed is the book I'm thinking of. I'm a self-help junkie, so I will take all the self-help I can get. <laughs> hey, in, in this time. Uh, Folks have kind of heard me on this. You might enjoy this. I'll, I'll give my plug. Um, is the uh, Trained podcast by uh, by Nike has been really good. Um, it's it's uh, Ryan Flaherty is the host uh, that basically goes through it. And um, you know, prior to the pandemic, it was um, you know a lot focused on kind of technique. Um, but he's really kind of got into a lot of the aspects of like mental training. Um, and, uh, it's just some really good ones. Like, uh, uh, Kevin Elko, who's a, a motivational speaker is the guy that was on just this past week. Um, that you, you would probably, you would dig it. Uh, he has, what was it 26 or 27 championship rings? Um, and so he works with, you know, pro and college sports, um, and, you know, just a super kind of, you know, introspective kind of person. And, uh, then the, he also has, um, this week I'm listening to, he has, uh, Georgie Brunvales, who is, a uh, she's a trainer and specializes, um, in kind of women's training matters. Um, so she's a marathon runner and just goes into some really great stuff that, um, it's pretty, pretty I'm going to have to check that out. Definitely. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend that. That's some good stuff. Um, and Rebecca, you, you've been out in the woods, right? So you, yeah, you... I've been out in the woods. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Trying to, to, uh, you know, decouple myself from technology, I guess, doing right. some plant identification. We all need more of that. <laughs> yeah. Totally. We all need to decouple. That is for certain. So. I just had a, I was outside this morning. I was getting a cup of coffee and I saw something fly past my window. So I have chickens too. And, uh, in my backyard and obviously they were away. I don't keep them out all day, but there was a giant hawk who landed on my chicken coop and was just hanging out there. So I get to enjoy a little bit of nature and unplug it at my house too. <laughs> 
I think we hear the Hayes, the Hayes Woods Eagles down here in the run. What? I haven't been able to see them, but I can hear that like eagle scream, you know, like right before the Colbert report. That's how I know it's the eagle scream. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to have a, a show dedicated solely to chickens. I would love to do a chicken keeping podcast. So anytime you want to invite me back to do that, I am game. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's a bad pun. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I think we should de definitely do maybe like an on-site chicken, uh, yes. uh, chicken kind of. Uh, plate. I would love that. <laughs> so we, we are on it. Well, hey, we really appreciate it, Mel. Um, it is great to talk with you um, and share your insights on the, the grant process and so much else. Um, we appreciate the partnership with you and the work that we all do together. It's really great stuff as always. Um, Thank so you. I agree. It's, it's always a pleasure chatting with both of you. <laughs> Excellent. Um, thank you, Rebecca. And thank you all for listening to the Grant Street Experience. We appreciate you guys uh, tuning in to us. Um, thanks to Bill, David, and Alex uh, on our cable team and producing um, uh, this quality, another quality episode of the Grant Street Experience. Um, thanks all, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.